It's time for Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by Vermal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Dotsler Power Equipment of Aiken, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, The Power Lodge, Chef Roberts Fish Breading Mix, S&W Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Now, here's your host for Brainerd Outdoors, Brian Moon. And welcome into this week's show. Plenty to cover. We're into fall, so everything seems to be going on. Ray Gildow has got lake reports from all across the state. We'll recap the opening weekend of bear season with Matt Brewer with North Country Guide Service in Bemidji. Revisit a conversation with Joel Nelson with Joel Nelson Outdoors about lead core fishing and another great recipe from Chef Joel from Black Bear Lodge and Saloon. All that and more on this week's edition of Brainerd Outdoors. And we'll kick off the show, as always, our lake and field segment brought to you by Oars and Mine and Crosby. No matter if your goal is pike, trout, walleyes, or bass, Oars and Mine gives you 10 different ways to get the bite. The next time you're in the Cuyuna area, Oars and Mine is a must-stop located on Highway 6 in Crosby. And we'll kick off the show here on Brainerd Outdoors with our local report. As always, our good friend Ray Gildow with the Nisswa Guides League drops by. Ray has been very, very busy out on the water, as many anglers are, Ray, this time of year. I mean, uh, it's, it's fall fishing season now. Uh, let's start on Winnie because, uh, it sounds like things have been pretty good. You spent a little time up there this past week. They weren't very good when I was there this week. (laughs) (laughs) Chase everything away, did you? (laughs) Uh, well, I went up there, uh, midweek. We went up on Wednesday and Tuesday, of course, was really nice. 74, 75 degrees, very humid. And then, uh, Tuesday night we got a cold front that came through and the temperature dropped about 35 degrees. And, uh, when I got up on Winnie, pretty good winds. And so we kind of were forced to go over to Cutfoot Sioux, which is an adjoining lake. And it's kind of interesting because Winnemagosh is an Anishinaabe term for dirty water. And I think it's because of all the rivers that can run into the lake. You know, it's very much a river-fed lake. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before, but uh, a year ago, you could literally see 22 feet down in that lake. And now you can see 9 feet. And they're not absolutely positive why. Um, but they think that maybe some of the zebra mussels got hit hard and there's not as many zebra mussels. Although I got to tell you, we were pulling Lindy rigs and we were pulling up gobs the size of my fist of um, zebra mussels. <laughs> so there's a lot of them in there and they're pretty healthy. But the lake color has, has held its own pretty well. Um, there's a transition occurring, I do believe, it's on Winnie. Um, I looked in the um, midsection when the wind went down. We went out and checked the humps where I usually fish. I did not see any sign of uh, walleyes or any sign of bait fish hmm. out in the mid-lake areas. And I didn't have time to really do a lot of searching on the shore breaks because we kind of ran out of time. But I think that transition is occurring. Uh, Tuesday, the water temperature, If we, we talked a week ago about the water temperature on Leach. It was 61 degrees. This week on Tuesday, it was 71 degrees. It warmed up 10 degrees hmm. over that week which is a big swing in the wrong direction if you're interested in fall fishing, um, which I think is what's making some of the fishing a little bit tougher, uh, each, at least on Leach and on Winnie. But the perch fishing has, has started. And we had uh, pretty good luck when we were fishing on Leach Tuesday. Caught a lot of perch, just little jigs and, and small crappie minnows or small fatheads. 
but we didn't get any really nice size ones. Usually we catch those 10, 11, 12 inches. And I heard a couple days before we were out there that they were catching some of those. But the day we were there, we were catching lots of perch, but hardly anything over nine inches. And I typically don't keep them over nine inches. So there's a definite transition occurring. And we're still trying to figure out where are these walleyes on both Winnie and Leech now because there are people are getting a few. Uh, I looked one in the fish cleaning house up on Winnie when I left, and I saw three walleyes in a pail out of a resort. <laughs> so they're not getting too many there. But there were a lot of crappies. So people are still finding crappies. They're still finding crappies on Gall Lake uh, off of some of the humps, the 9, 10-foot humps. That crappie bite's been pretty steady, I think, late summer, uh, mid-summer, all, all, all summer. It's been a pretty good little bite for crappies. If you go out towards the evening and work those weed lines, that's been a really good bite. So crappie fishing's been pretty good. Um, in the uh, Gall Lake area, guys are still pulling some walleyes out of Gall Lake. Uh, and they're starting to pull some more out of uh, the whitefish chain. I haven't been on North Long. I haven't heard any reports about North Long or Pelican Lake, so I'm not sure what's happening there. But usually there's a, a parallel a little bit between those area lakes. So I do think when this could be a very good fall in the Brainerd area lakes when the water temperature gets down uh, in the upper 50s. I think that's when we might start seeing some things happening. Where are we water temp-wise here locally? You mentioned that it's up around 70 uh, around Leach, but right here in the Brainerd area. Well, um, Midweek, we had 29 degrees in International Falls, yeah. <laughs> and so we have a few cold days, uh, cool nights coming. So I'm going to guess this weekend you're going to see water temperatures in the low 60s, 61, 62 degrees. So it's working that way down. But then if you look at the forecast for the following week, it looks like we're going to have some temperatures back to up in the 80s again later in the week. So it's strange. It's a strange year. You know, we're looking at huge weather systems out east and huge weather systems to the south. Our poor neighboring state, your home state, Wisconsin, has been hammered with with (laughs) lots of serious flooding. Um, It's just our weather patterns just are not as reliable as they once were. They just are very different. Oh, and everybody else we've talked to, not only you, we've talked to Mandy and Matt. They've all said it's just they're pounding their head against the wall sometimes with these weather patterns because you can't start to pattern the fish at all. Right. Right. Which makes it very uh, tough. If we could get three or four days of stable weather, then it gets a little easier to find them, and then you can go back the next day and be somewhat assured that you're going to find them in the same area. Just to say something about bait, because we've talked a little bit in the past that bait has been hard to come by, but I checked with uh, W Bait, which is one of the advertisers on the station, mm-hmm. and they're doing very well right now. They have good numbers of red tails, good numbers of creek chubs, some big shiners. They've got pike minnows in finally. They've got some small rainbows. So depending on demand this coming weekend, um, there's bait there and there's bait to be had. So people can start because, you know, typically now uh, the guys I fish with, we start kind of going off crawlers up on leech for sure and start going to minnows. Although you and I have talked about this before, more and more people are going to crankbaits. And more and more people are going even with lead core just to drop it down a little bit, like to be in 18, 20 feet of water and drop it down about 15. Because one thing we do know is when boats come into an area, they spook those fish out. And if they were in eight or nine feet of water, when those motors come over and those lakes are getting clear, they can see them. It's a good idea just to work out a little bit deeper and to work deeper sometimes. If you don't have crankbaits, it'll go down that way. 
lead core line is a great way to get down there and and start working around that a little bit different depth. It's good to see that the bait population, I know Sherry's always on top of it there at S&W Bait, so that's good to see. Um, let's just uh, switch gears to muskies for just a second, Ray. Um, you, I, you know, when, in talking to Matt, they've had uh, some pretty good muskie action uh, up north. Uh, you keeping an eye on Leach and, and Winnie. You actually heard some pretty good things with muskies over this past week. Yeah, muskies, muskies have been pretty consistent on Leach Lake. Uh, it, I've heard of guys catching four in a day. You know, they're not all big fish. Some of them are 30, 32, 33-inch fish. But uh, about a year ago, uh, even two years ago, it was really hard to catch muskies on leech uh, consistently. And this year it's really funny because it's kind of a tough walleye bite, and every landing's got muskie fishermen on it because the <laughs> word gets around so fast, and people will get out there and start working them. And it's it's been uh, – I was telling you about a guy yeah. right down at the Chase Hotel and got a 44-incher just casting off the dock and saw another one he estimated to be about 48 inches, and he just sat there off the dock casting. Wow. So it's been a, it's been a really good year for muskies up on the Leech Lake area. Anything to report on the bass front? I haven't been bass fishing this week, uh, but I did talk with uh, a couple of my buddies who are, have been out, and these fronts have made it pretty tough. And when you have a front and in a high sun afternoon, that can be really tough fishing. So there's been a few days this week uh, where the fishing was pretty tough for my buddies, anyway, that have been out bass fishing. And one last thing, Ray, we want to touch on the uh, upcoming Walleye Alliance tournament that's here at the end of the month. Uh, they're trying to reestablish the Walleye Alliance in the Brainerd area. It was started, I think, originally in about 1999, and then it kind of folded up. So Nate Blazing and Bob Slayball and a whole bunch of guys, eight or nine guys, have started a board and are starting this up again. And their first activity is going to be the Fall Walleye Classic on September 30th at Pelican Lake. And the entry fee is $200, which includes monthly club membership. And the payback will be 80%. So how many boats they have, they'll take 80% of whatever that is that's coming in. They are looking for um, uh, volunteers to help with the weigh-ins and that sort of thing. So they're hoping to get this club back up and running again. And I know in the past they worked a lot with the DNR fisheries guys and uh, to see if they could get something going and helping them in stocking fish or whatever. And entry forms on, are on Facebook, and you can also get entry forms from S&W Bait, Sportland Bait, and Boomer's Bait. And if you have any questions, just go to email and at walleyealliance at gmail. That's walleyealliance at gmail, and someone will get back to you or call you right away. There you go. That's coming up on September 30th on Pelican Lake. It's kind of nice to see that coming back, Ray, because as really you is. said uh, years ago, that was a big event. It really is. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of us who would like to see more fingerlings put into our area lakes because so many tourists come here historically to have that walleye experience. And over the last few years, maybe because of zebra mussels or whatever, they're not getting the fish that they used to catch. So we're going to see if we can work with guys and maybe get a few more fingerlings in these and catch a few more fish coming out of our area lakes. That'd be nice, no be doubt. Fun. It'd be fun. It's Ray Gildow with the Nisswa Guides League. You can check Ray out, raygildow.com. He is all over social media and, of course, with the Nisswa Guides League. I appreciate the info, as always, Ray. Good stuff, and we'll check in soon. Thank you, Brian. All right, when we come back, we'll head up to Bemidji for the Up North Report. Matt Brewer's got the latest on fishing up there. We'll recap opening weekend of bear season and maybe even talk a little early goose when we come back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3.
You're listening to the place for everything outdoors in the Brainerd Lakes and beyond. Brainerd Outdoors Radio, just after 7, Saturday mornings, Sunday evenings at 7, and Monday mornings at 5, right here on B93.3. Now here's your host, Brian Moon. Up north we go to Bemidji for the Up North Report. We bring in Matt Brewer with North Country Guide Service and a lot of bear talk with Matt this week because he's been very busy in the woods since the opener last weekend. But I, I guess, Matt, before we get into that, you've been spending all your time in the woods doing a lot of guiding, but you've got a lot of other guides. you got quite a team up there, and you guys have been hitting the water as well. Fall fishing upon us now. It sounds like things have been really good. I knocked the dust off my stuff and did a trip uh the day before before bear season opened and and uh different when you don't fish for two weeks i i struggled a little bit and had to had to kind of grind it out we did get uh some excitement with like a 45 47 inch muskie but uh but the walleye fishing was a little tougher for me but but then i got two of my backups who are just absolutely crushing the fish so um but they're out a lot and uh and that's kind of a testament to to how things go if you're on the water every day and you're keeping keeping tabs on the fish you're going to do really well and if you if you take a little break you you got to work your butt off so but uh i'm, I'm willing to go either way but uh, <laughs> but the guys like i said they're they're on some pods of fish and they're doing very very well um jason's been out and he's been he's been kicking some butt so uh fall fishing is is definitely upon us is it a drastic drop, would you say, Matt, or more of a gradual thing? I mean, we, we've got lows now that are in the 40s uh, overnight. Uh, how much has that affected things? Yeah, water temps are dropping nicely. Um, you know, the water has changed a lot, not only temperature-wise, but clarity-wise. And, you know, the thermocline is set up real nice and, and stuff like that. So things are different. But we've still got really good green weeds, and uh, and a lot of the fish are still hanging out in the weeds. So you've got your deeper fish that are sliding off getting ready for fall um and kind of moving into those fall patterns but you've also got the shallow summer fish that are still like my kids and trying to grasp at the last straws of summer and uh and you can do do well jigging a minnow with uh or uh, a big minnow in the in the shallow water and some of the bigger fish are biting right now too so so it's it's kind of uh one of those things you kind of got to pick your poison and decide what you want to do for the day and and if one tactic doesn't work, you got to be ready to switch over. So, and you said the musky fishing's been pretty good too, because we're starting to head into the prime time of that now too. Uh, I love bear guiding so much, but right now <laughs> watching social media and seeing the pictures of all the muskies getting caught, it's like, oh, that's all I want to do is the musky fishing right now. Um, but according to everybody, it's it's really really good, and uh, if we can hook them on accident, they're they're probably biting. So. Um, so yeah, that uh, that that bite is going, and it, and it should only get better as we go later into September and early October too. So there you go on the fishing front. Now let's get into some bear hunting, Matt. You've been in the woods uh, really for the last week or so. Uh, I was a little worried about you because Brent Bymert and I were talking last week, and uh, he said, "Boy, guys that have been baiting and, and consistently baiting like you have, uh, they may have to call an audible here at the eleventh hour with all of these acorns that have been dropping." We've got like a surplus that we've had haven't had in, in years. How did that affect things? Yeah, yeah it's uh, it definitely makes it tough. We started off the season pretty worried. We actually established what did we established like five new stations this year. We were not looking great at the beginning of the season. We were getting some hits, but it wasn't anything consistent. And 
and then all of a sudden it was only like the third or fourth day um so it wasn't wasn't like a long drawn out process of being worried but um finally on like the third or fourth day we started to really get some consistency and and uh we had a couple baits where where we were like all right these guys are gonna harvest bears for sure still in the back of my mind i'm thinking all it takes is one big wind and uh and those bears are gonna disappear and sure enough two days before the season we had like 25 30 mile an hour winds and then the day before the season pull camera cards and and things didn't look all that pretty um i was still pretty confident but i i had some doubt in my mind and then then we ended up going three for four on opening weekend so we we were really happy with that um you know it's not a four for four but on a year where there's so much food and so many acorns um i i was i was very pleased and uh i've still got still got hunters to go so hopefully we can down some more but uh but opening weekend was was definitely good i did not realize uh until talking to brent last week i mean i know deer just flock to acorns that's going to make uh, early bow season i think very interesting this year but I did not realize that bear they love acorns as well, and and I didn't realize that they they basically flock to those even more than deer do. I don't remember the exact numbers, but uh, but there was a a collared bear up by Thief River, I believe it was collared at Thief Lake, and uh, and they found that it traveled all the way down by like Hazel, Minnesota, which is Middle River Thief Lake. You've been there; is mm-hmm. about seventeen miles north of Thief River. And Hazel is about seven miles southwest of Thief River, and that bear traveled all the way down in like in like forty eight hours or forty four hours or something like that, uh, just to hit an acorn grove, and then it stayed there for like a week and then traveled back. So they definitely like their acorns, and yeah, we see it every year. If there's a good crop of acorns, uh, we try to get we definitely try to get some baits in the acorns and and try to at least bait close to acorns, and then. When you're looking at scat, like <laughs> on a normal year where acorns are kind of down or mediocre or or they haven't fallen yet, um, you know the the scat is almost all like blackberry, uh, blackberries and uh, wild plum pits and stuff like that. And pretty much uh, most of the scat piles this year were just loaded with acorns and and they had that acorn color. So it's definitely a tough year. So any any hunters out there who are are struggling with bears this year. Don't think you're, don't think you're alone, and don't think that uh, that everyone should have had it easy because it's definitely a tough one. Makes it pretty easy going in the second weekend. Uh, obviously, you and I were talking off air. It's tougher after that first weekend to score a bear, but if somebody didn't have that luck that first weekend, obviously the acorns is where they're going to want to be, right? Yeah, and like we were talking off air. I don't, again, don't know the exact percentages, but it's something like 70% of bears that are harvested in Minnesota are harvested during the, that opening opening weekend or opening week. And uh, your your odds go down greatly after that because traffic, you know, once like grouse season starts and woodcock season and, and archery deer, once all of those things start, then your odds kind of start to go down. But I've also had very, very good luck really late in the season, like uh, mid-October. You know, uh, we've had it before where we were just so busy that we, uh, like if I had a take for myself, just too busy and don't start running a bait till mid to late October. And the bears usually by then are nice and hungry because all the food in the woods is pretty much, uh, it's diluted or gone. So, so it can be good late, but, uh, but early season is, 
that's kind of when you want to hammer it out and get it done. In three for four uh, guide trips, as you said, Matt, uh, pretty good uh, on that end. All of them harvested same time of day, or did it, was this kind of an all-day thing for you? Um, let's see, opening day, we had one shot at like 3.45 in the afternoon, um, and then another hunter passed on a bear that he watched for two and a half hours, uh, came in at like six, and then <laughs> when we walked in to pick him up, the bear ran up a tree, it was still in the bait, and then uh, brought him out, and then when I pulled the card the next day to get him set up, uh, the bear basically climbed back down the tree and started eating right away, and then he harvested harvested his bear, which I believe was the same bear at 6 p.m. the following night. The other one was opening day at 6.30, so that like 3.30 to 6.30 time frame was when, when most of the bear activity happened, and I think the the opening day bear that was shot at 3.30, that was the only bear he saw, and then, uh, like I said, one hunter passed on one and then shot one the next day, and then the other guy, they saw four bears and picked the one that was the cleanest shot, but, uh, but yeah, good season overall. It was, we said last time we talked to you here a few weeks ago, this is such a busy time for all of us. Uh, we had early goose. Did you hear anything there too? Because just a little bit that I heard from the early goose season, things were a little sparse. Did you hear anything different? It was like 50-50 for me. I'd either talk to a group and they really, really stacked them up, or I'd talk to somebody and they're like, no geese came into the field. It was very hit or miss. I know that I'm excited to get my goose season started, so... Uh, got to get this this client this weekend out of the way, and then hopefully get them tagged out, and then I can uh, then I can wash the decoys off and get them ready to rock. So, three weeks, I believe, from this weekend, uh, we will be Matt and I will be together in Middle River for Goose Fest, and the word is, and this is legendary, uh, Matt and I may be hunting together for the very first time. That will be excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. To, it's it, it's amazing to say we've been doing this show for almost fourteen years now. Matt and I have fished together a few times, but we've never hunted together, so this ought to be interesting. No, it's, just, it, it's not going to be interesting. Like you said, it's going to be legendary. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know if I want that. Now that I look back, I probably shouldn't use that term, but we'll see. It's going to be a lot of fun. Obviously, Goose Fest up in Middle River. You get a chance to check that out. It's the last weekend in September. Um, I've been going now for, what, I think the last four years, and, and it's just a blast. I look forward to it every year. Uh, Matt Brewer, North Country Guide Service in Bemidji. You can check him out, northcountryguides.com. As I said before, too, check him out on social media. Uh, some very, very cool stuff all over Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all that. Matt, I appreciate it. Good luck. Uh, weekend number two out in the woods, and uh, we'll check in with you next week, okay? Sounds good. All right, when we come back, this time of year, a lot of anglers like to switch over, do a little lead core fishing, but it's not for everybody, and some are new to it. So we'll revisit a conversation on fishing with lead core with Joel Nelson, with Joel Nelson Outdoors, when we come back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3, and a special treat this week. I, I kind of stumbled across an article written by Joel Nelson with Joel Nelson Outdoors, uh, talking a lot about lead core fishing, and I know we have a lot of listeners that have asked me, you know, what's that all about? It's not something I really do that much. So I thought maybe we'd get a little tutorial on it, and uh, Joel, once again, thanks for joining us here on Brainerd Outdoors. Yeah, great to be here. Yeah, lead core is something I, I do a fair amount of, so it's a uh Topic near and dear to my heart as well. Absolutely. So we'll get into it here. But before we do that, Joel, maybe a little background on you for those that aren't familiar with you being you're new to the show. Um, you spent a lot of time down in southern Minnesota, but you also spent a lot of time up here in the northern part of the state. 
Yeah, yes, I do. I, I do travel quite a bit to fish. Uh, you know, I live in between t- the Twin Cities and Rochester, so traditionally I've, I've fished a lot of the areas around pools 2, 3, and 4 of the Mississippi River and a lot of south-central Minnesota lakes, but, uh, you know, definitely Minnesota's big walleye factories I spent a good amount of time on, Lake of the Woods, and then certain fisheries, uh, you know, in the Dakotas as well as Wisconsin. So it's it's cool because lead core is something that uh, I've been able to do in a lot of different places, even for different species, and seems to work well in a lot of different locales. Yeah, that's for sure. And that's what I think would make for a very interesting topic this week. Because as you mentioned, a lot of those places that you fish, you can take those lead core tactics to places like Gull Lake and places like Mille Lacs and, and Winnie and Leach and have some success. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, I I think it's something that I do a fair amount whenever I see fish scattered. So, you know, if I see fish scattered and they're deep and they're harder to get to and I really want to cover water, it's it's really a bread-and-butter technique for July and August. So for those that maybe you know fairly new to fishing or, or just don't get out as much as they'd like to, when we say lead core, what are we talking about? You know, lead core uh, really centers around the line itself, which is just a uh, kind of a braided sheathed line. And inside of that braided uh, braided sheath, there is a single uh, core of lead. It's just a long piece of lead. And what that does is it uh, it's very simple. It sinks the line and puts the baits in the zone. And you know, it involves a little bit of specialized tackle, and that's the part I think that's scary to a lot of people, but it, it's really not that intimidating. The, you know, the first time you, you'll pull it out, it, it, it seems a little bit awkward. It doesn't come off the reel like a normal braid would. You're using larger bait caster reels with line counters um, and some specialized rods to kind of handle the weight of both the line and, and the fish that you'll be reeling in and the weight of the crankbaits that you're pulling. But uh, once you get a lead core set up, and it's readily available in a lot of different retailers. They'll help you out. They'll they'll help pair everything up. Once you get it out and start dragging it around, you'll really start to realize that it's not all that complex. And is it fairly cost-effective? Yeah, I mean, it's something where uh, you can spend a lot of money on crankbaits and you can spend a a lot of time and effort trying to get down to fish in other ways. But once you have... Uh, you know, a, a lead core setup, and you don't need to spend a ton of money. I mean, literally, you can spend under a hundred dollars. I'd recommend getting two. So for under two hundred bucks, you can take your existing lineup of crankbaits and really double, triple, quadruple the effectiveness because you you know that you'll always be in the zone when fish start pushing past fifteen, maybe even twenty feet of water. The one place that I hear lead core being used the most here in the immediate Brainerd Lakes area, Joel, is Mille Lacs. And yeah. reason for that is it because those fish can become so scattered out there? Ab- absolutely. You know, uh, crankbaits are the name of the game. Whenever you've got a summer bite where fish are active, for the most part, right, their metabolism is up. They are willing to chase baits around, but they're scattered throughout either the water column, as they are in Mille Lacs, right? They can be suspended all over the place, or they can be near bottom. But either way, you've got to get the baits down to the fish and, and in their zone. So at the end of the day, there's not a lot of techniques that both cover water and then also get to depth as well as does lead core. And how do colors play in? Uh, you know, colors of the lures or colors of the line? Both, actually. Oh, that's, that's a good question. You know, uh, lead core, it's interesting. The line is multicolored. Every 10 yards, 
you'll see color change, and that helps you, even without a line counter, if you didn't have one, to indicate how much line you have back to try and recreate those sink rates. Let's say you catch a fish with five colors out. Well, you know that you need to go back to five colors if you're trolling the same depth along a break. Um, colors in response to the crankbaits uh, play a huge role, especially the Mille Lacs, like you talked about on bright, sunny days, those chromes in the clear water, those those brighter colors that have a little bit of sheen off of them in UV as well can be super effective. And then in some of the darker stained or murkier waters, I, I like really bright colors, not, not, not with the chrome, but, uh, you know, the fluorescent oranges and so on and so forth. So colors, and they can play a huge role. And as far as when you're trolling, I mean, does it, it compared to crankbait fishing, uh, Joel, do you want to maybe slow it down a little bit when you're with lead core, or does that not matter either? So lead cores is an interesting, <laughs> it's unlike any other line you'll pull because there's going to be a big bow in it. That weight uh, creates a bow, and as you speed up, you can, you can actually change the, uh, the depth of dive, and if you slow down, you could change the depth of dive. Now, rather than give you general rules on what makes it go up or go down, I think really the simplest thing is for people to get out there drag it around, focus on keeping your boat at the same speed, maybe start at like 2.2 to 2.4 miles an hour, and let out line till you hit bottom. Um, then experiment. Speed up, slow down, see what it does, see, see if you're dragging into the bottom. Uh, there is nothing uh, better with lead core than that positive reinforcement of, oh, oh hey, I'm, I can see my rod tip's bouncing, I'm banging my bait on bottom. That, that, to me, is the best test and best way for people to get out there and really gain confidence in the technique. So a couple of other questions with you, Joel. Uh, once again, talking with Joel Nelson with Joel Nelson Outdoors, and we're talking the ins and outs of uh, lead core fishing. And I, I'm a relative rookie at this, Joel, so these may be silly questions, but I really kind of wanted to get do's and don'ts on structure. And a lot of different we, – we're dealing now here in Minnesota with lakes that are changing with invasive species like Cass Lake and even right here in our own backyard with the Gull Lake. They're becoming very clear now. Uh, some lakes this time of year, you start to get a little bit on the green side. With lead core, how does that affect whether you're fishing a lake that's, that's fairly clear compared to something a little murky? You know, when it, when it comes to lead core, uh, a lot of these fish are heading deep uh, regardless of the color of the lake, especially if it's clear, though. Those those fish are, are heading to depth to, to you know to to seek out some solitude. Um, in some of the greener lakes, they're often heading to depth because of temperature gradients. So so a lot of times, uh, depending on where you're fishing, you're going to be in excess of 25 feet of water. Once you get past that 35 foot of water, keep in mind you got to be careful. The fish that you're catching, if you are down that far, right on bottom are probably going to die because of barotrauma. So keep that in mind as you're fishing and just, just plan on keeping those fish. You know, don't, don't try and release them. And once you've reached a limit, if that's what you're after, um, just <laughs> make sure you're done for the day. So keep that in mind any, any time you're pulling the depths with lead core. Rock, sand, mud, uh, do that, does that matter at all either? To me, not as much, except for lead core is not a great technique around heavy rock. Uh, rock piles, boulders, sharp, precise turns, that's not what this technique is all about. Yeah, unless you're a precision troller and you know exactly what depth 
that that bait is pulling with the right amount of line out and so on and so forth, it's pretty tough to recreate precision trolling runs. So the idea with lead cores, you're looking for big, broad areas of similar depth, a lot of times sand. Sometimes it's a big mud basin, and it's just going to be in 28 feet of water, and it stays 28 feet for a long run. Those are uh, kind of money, uh, kind of money lead core runs because you'll see fish on the graph; they're spread out, and you want to continue your troll for miles, preferably if you can, along these pods of fish. Um, if you see fish in, in tighter groups in smaller schools, then maybe a different technique, you know, like jigging wrapping on them or dropping jigs and minnows or you know any other kind of a more precision technique, even live bait rigging right on them is going to be more productive than is lead core. Lead core for substrate, though, so often is sand and mud. And one last thing, Joel, for maybe somebody that's listening going, yeah, I want to try this lead core technique, and they're a relative rookie at it. What are some of the biggest mistakes that anglers make with lead core? I think some of the biggest mistakes are um, when they're letting line out. If you let it out too fast, you're going to, you're going to make a, a jumbled knot. Um, if you're not careful of the spread of your rods and making sure that your turns aren't uh, – you know, if you, if you start making sharp turns, you can tangle it. Lead core, when it tangles, is an absolute mess. So you want to avoid your, boi- your, your baits bouncing off of bottom too much. Just ticking the bottom occasionally is okay. But if your baits are dragging and banging, they can start to roll, and they can actually roll into the other lead core setup. And uh, I have seen some haystacks of, <laughs> of lead core line, and it's, it's not the cheapest stuff in the world. So you want to make sure and take care of your lead core Keep your baits running just above bottom. Watch for those baits banging off bottom, and just just treat it a little more carefully. You have to be uh, a little more purposeful with the way you let out line and how you reel it in and, and all that good stuff to make sure that uh, one spool of line will, will last you for years. There you go. That's Joel Nelson uh, with Joel Nelson Outdoors. Joel, if people want more information on you, how can they find it? Well, they can always go to my website, uh, joelnelsonoutdoors.com. Uh, I've got an Ask Me Anything section there. If uh, you've got a question, uh, I'd love to highlight it uh, uh, and answer it uh, for you and everybody else. Chances are, if you've got a question, uh, a lot of other people do too. And sometimes I, I don't know everything by any means, so I have to research it too. So uh, drop me a line there, and uh, we can learn together. It's pretty good cool videos on there too. As a matter of fact, I learned that Joel's also an avid turkey hunter like myself. So you can catch up <laughs> some pretty cool stuff there too. Topics for another day because, man, that turkey thing, that's addictive. Yeah, so you and I come spring, we're going to have to talk again, that's for sure. I like it. That That, sounds great. That's Joel Nelson, Joel Nelson Outdoors. Joel, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Great to have you on the show this week, and I'm sure we'll be talking here down the line, okay? Yeah, thanks so much, and good luck fishing. More of Branded Outdoors after this on B93.3. Everything hunting and fishing can be found here. Brainerd Outdoors, just after 7 Saturday mornings, Sunday evenings at 7, and Monday mornings at 5, right here on B93.3. Now here's your host, Brian Moon. Time for our famished fisherman uh, recipe for this week, and as always, we bring in uh, Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon on Highway 371 in Baxter. And uh, Joel, a lot of people out and about fishing. you got a great crappie recipe for us this week. we got uh, baked Parmesan crappies. And we're going to serve that with uh, what I call broccoli rice. So we're going to take uh, a couple eggs. We're going to whip those together with a fork just to make a little egg wash. You can add a little uh, milk or cream to that as well, just a little bit, not a lot. We're going to set that aside in a shallow bowl for later. Next, we're going to mix in some breadcrumbs, Parmesan, and uh, Italian seasoning, some fresh thyme, 
granulated garlic, and a little bit of paprika. We're going to mix that all together in a separate bowl, and that will be our breadcrumb, our Parmesan breadcrumb uh, for the top of our fish. All right, then we'll take our crappies that we have nice and cleaned up. We will dredge those into our egg wash batter, heavily coat them into our breadcrumb mixture. Make sure you get those nice and uh, seasoned. Get a lot of that cheese and cheese and breadcrumbs on there. Make them taste real good. Plenty of cheese. Plenty of cheese. We'll lay those fillets into a uh, nice baking dish, depending on how many fillets you have. You know, kind of size your pan accordingly. We'll lay those into our baking dish and drizzle them with a little bit of melted butter on top. We'll toss those into the oven, uh, probably about a 425-degree oven. I'm thinking probably 15 minutes, 20 minutes maybe, just until your uh, breadcrumbs and cheese is nice and crispy on top. Then to cook our broccoli rice, we will take some brown rice and put that into a small sauce pot, add in some vegetable broth, and let that cook together for, I'd say, probably seven minutes. And about right at that time, I would add in some broccoli florets that are already nice and chopped up. Let that cook into there. Side it aside, take it off the heat, and let your broccoli become nice and tender. You don't want to overcook your rice. It'll become real mushy if you do that. Set that aside. Wait for your crappie fillets to come out of the oven. Serve them together. Once again, uh, something like this, great for this time of year. It's almost almost like comfort food a little bit. Definitely. It's very good comfort food. Yeah. And I notice in the uh, egg wash and everything that you put in, um, paprika. And I like a little bit of heat in my stuff. If you wanted to make that a little spicier, almost a little Cajun-y, more you know, paprika? You could use, you could use uh, a smoky, a smoked paprika. Usually in the restaurant, we just use regular Spanish paprika. If you wanted to kick it up a notch, you know, use a smoke, smoked paprika. Or, yeah, even add in a little bit of Cajun seasoning or, or any other kind of flavor that you want to go with on that. There we go. So if you want to give it a try, uh, give this recipe a try, as well as many of the others we have BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Just click on the recipes tab, and then you can try what? Baked Parmesan crappies. There you go. So you can give it a shot. BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com is the place to go. Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon. Thanks as always, Joel. Thank you, Brian. And that'll wrap up this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch Brainerd Outdoors just after 7, Saturday mornings, Sunday evenings at 7, Monday mornings at 5, right here on B93.3. If you're away from your radio or out of town, you can still listen to the show live. Just go to BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com, click on the Listen Live tab so you can stream it live that way. Or if you missed a portion of this week's show or want to relive some of it, many ways you can listen on demand. we got the show up on the website once again. BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com is where you want to go for that. While you're there, visit our sponsors page. We've got links to all of our guests that we have each and every week and a lot of information there as well, so we invite you to check that out. Plus, we're available on all the podcast networks, PodcastOne.com, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, you name it. Wherever you download podcasts, you can catch Brainerd Outdoors. Just search Brainerd Outdoors, and while you're at it, we'd appreciate it if you give us a nice rate and review. We'll see you next weekend for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors. I'm Brian Moon. Brainerd Outdoors has been brought to you by Vermal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Dotsler Power Equipment of Aiken, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, The Power Lodge, 
Chef Robert's Fish Breading Mix, S&W Bait and Tackle, Growing Recycling, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Join Brian Moon just after 7 Saturday mornings, Sunday evening at 7, and Monday mornings at 5 for another edition of Brain It Outdoors right here on B93.3.